Greetings. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the uh, video teaching series, The Biblical Principles That Govern the Eyes. This is Lesson 17, and uh, I'm going to give you the title of this lesson immediately. I'm going to talk about the big lie, the big lie, the big lie that so many believe, the big lie that so many have given themselves over to. That big lie is that an undisciplined eye can lead to the satisfaction of the soul. That if I could just have what I see, it will satisfy me. A life that does not put the Lord first is doomed to emptiness. Every one of us was created with an eternal emptiness in us. Jesus re referred to it in John chapter 7 when he said, uh, it, in the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, that they that believe on him should receive the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he said, he that believeth on me as the scripture hath said, out of his belly. That's King James. The Greek word there means literally cavity. It means figuratively and is translated many times innermost being. So it's an emptiness. Every one of us was created with a spiritual emptiness in us. Uh, Ecclesiastes, and one, one translation says of Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity in the heart of every man. He has. This emptiness is of eternal size. Nothing temporal can fill that emptiness. But if man doesn't know that, if we don't know that, we will try to fill that emptiness. If I do not put God first, I have no hope of ever permanently, truly filling that emptiness. The problem is we put all kind of stuff in here. We put all kind of stuff in here. We try all kind of things. We do all kind of things. Trying to fill the emptiness. Trying to fill the emptiness. But none of it lasts. There's a difference between fun and happiness. Fun, you only have while you're doing what it is that you're doing. Fun is a pleasure of the flesh that is there for that moment. I may laugh and we may have a big time having fun. But the moment fun is over with, the awareness that the emptiness hasn't gone anywhere begins to dawn on me. That's why a lot of people don't like to go to sleep. Because if you can't go to sleep, you lay there with your mind working and you become very aware of how empty you are. That's why some people, they, they, they surf the net or they, or they are on social media until they just practically can't keep their eyes open and then they lay down and pass out. Because the worst thing in the world is to lay there in the dark with your eyes closed and your mind working. Because if it works, in that situation, I'm going to be very well aware of how empty I am. Jesus promised 
that if I would acknowledge I've got this need, this emptiness, I could come to him and he would fill this emptiness in me to such a degree. I would be so full in that emptiness, that cavity, that innermost being, that out of it would flow rivers of living water. Notice, he said, he, that's singular, that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his, that's singular, belly, innermost being, inner cavity, inner emptiness, shall flow rivers of living water. That's the plan of God for us. That's the will of God for us. That's the will of God for us. If we come to him, and the word come there doesn't mean physically just coming to him. It means to come to him in surrender, come to him in seeking, come to him in desire, come to him in faith. Paul said it this way in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Not seek from him, not seek for him, seek him. So when Jesus said, he that cometh to me, that's exactly what he was talking about. Paul defined it later for us who believe. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, seek after him, seek to know him. Paul said that I might know him and the powers of resurrection, the fellowship of suffering. I want to know him. David said, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. He also said, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. So I have this emptiness inside. If I don't acknowledge this emptiness because I want to put on a face around all my friends that I party with and I want to act like I'm the, the life of the party, then I'm not even being true to myself. But then i got to go to bed. So I either have to get drunk out of my mind or you have to take some other kind of chemicals to get me to go to sleep or I have to stay awake until I, I, I'm about falling asleep before I sit so that I can pass out and I don't have to think because thinking leads me to being aware that the the person I am laying in this bed in the dark is not the person I am in that party, not the one everybody else thinks I am. That's my put-on self. That's the, that's the front I hide behind. So again, the lie is that undisciplinized, eyes that gets whatever it sees, that pursues whatever it wants, can somehow satisfy my soul. They can't. When our souls are empty, we can never satisfy our emptiness through a lustful eye. Eyes that are given over to lust are insatiable. When I give my eyes permission to seek for something to fill my emptiness, it's not possible. They're insatiable. The reason they're insatiable is because everything it sees it wants to try, and everything it tries to fill this emptiness or to, to be satisfied with what I've seen, it doesn't work. So I'm driven, driven. I don't have a control of me. This need for this emptiness to be filled and the pursuit of filling it by what I, my eyes see and then what my flesh lusts after and what my pride tells me, I don't need God. If I can just have this, I can make it on my own without God. I don't need God. 
But it's insatiable because it doesn't work. It does not work. And so it drives me. And it drives me. It drives me. The eyes being unsatisfied will always crave to see more and more. More and more. And the problem is, with the base nature of sin, eventually what I'm looking to see more and more of is not of God's beauty, but of the depths of the depravity of sin. So in our unsatisfied state, we progressively seek out content that has greater and greater degrees of depravity, whatever that is, whatever we're looking after. And even if we don't think we can ever or ever would do those things because we wouldn't want to get caught, we fellowship with that as if it was us doing it. Now, they say, they say that there's technology being worked on right now that lets you wear virtual reality so you not only are seeing in a way that puts you in that world, but they are coming up with ways to to affect the brain so that you feel what you would feel in that world. So someday, virtual sex, they claim, is going to be truly real in the sense that you will be able to experience it virtually as if you were actually doing it, where you don't even need your fantasy mind anymore, the fantasies of your mind. You'll actually live out that fantasy virtually as if you were actually there. The eyes never satisfied with seeing, the ears never satisfied with hearing. There is no end to this. There is no limit. No one controls the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. Even when you think you're in control, you keep giving in to it, it takes over control, and now you are under its power. Ultimately, ultimately, there are no limits to the depths of debauchery that the eyes will passionately crave and lustfully pursue. Because sin has no limits. There is never enough sin to satisfy the flesh. Reading Ecclesiastes 4 and 8, There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he that hath neither child nor brother, yet there is no end of all of his labor, neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good. This also is vanity, yea, it is sore travail. What a sad statement of life. Because even the drug addict and the alcoholic at some point comes to the realization, I may not be able to be free, but I've ruined myself. I've ruined myself. I have a mental image of a picture I saw back in the, I think it was the 70s. There was a man named Thomas Hollywood Henderson. He was the star linebacker of the defense of the Dallas Cowboys during their heyday, their Super Bowl years. He was had the potential of being one of the best they ever played. But with all the money he was making, He was not satisfied. With all the fame he had, he was not satisfied. And so he gave himself. He saw others that seemed to be having pleasure with cocaine. And so he became, he began to use cocaine. And this picture I saw, 
someone took a picture of this man they apparently knew he would, they were with him when he was using drugs but he's down on the floor crawling around the floor trying to find any small crystals of cocaine he might have dropped because he was he'd run out he used all he had and this kind that had such power over him that all that he had all that he was it was washed down the toilet because he came under the power of the lust of his eyes and the lust of his flesh. His eye wasn't satisfied with seeing, and his flesh wasn't satisfied with the things that was tasting. It always had to have more, more, more. This isn't about one man. He, I'm only using him as an example of multiplied millions of people. Multiplied millions. There are some that they don't ever do things that would be depraved from a natural perspective. But they've so given themselves over to just doing the same old mundane things all the time. Go to work, come home, sit in your chair, watch TV, go to bed. That's their whole life. Do they think they're satisfied? Not if they're honest with themselves. Does God say they're satisfied? No, they are definitely not. So... What do they do? What do they do? Uh, let's, let's look at that verse again. Ecclesiastes 1 and 8, All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. I'm going to do what I've done. I'm going to read several translations here. I just We've got to get this. It's the big lie. It's the big lie that the eye can satisfy me. What I see can satisfy me. And what the longing that what I see, it it becomes lust of my flesh, that if I could just have that, it would satisfy me. It's a lie. It's the big lie. The only lie equivalent to that in its effect upon us is that I can control things. The lie that I can convince myself I am in control. What a lie. I control nothing. No man controls anything. And the idea that I can control my life is a lie. And part of that big lie is that the eye, if I can just get what my eye is seeing, my life will be satisfied. It's a lie. Those are really two parts of the same whole going back to the last lesson. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. It's all connected. It's all right there together. So the New Living Translation says of Ecclesiastes 1 and 8, Everything is wearisome beyond description, no matter how much we see. We are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Good News Translation says, Everything leads to weariness. Everything leads to weariness. A weariness too great for words. Our eyes can never see enough to be satisfied Our ears can never hear enough. In fact, we can get in such a state that that weariness is so great that we open ourselves up to that voice that says, it's not worth living. Why don't you just end it all? When sin is finished, it brings forth death. And the ultimate way sin brings forth death is when I try to take out of God's hands the right to determine the day I die. And I try to end it myself before that. God have mercy on us. God have mercy on us. 
The contemporary English version says, all of life is far more boring than words could ever say. Our eyes and our ears are never satisfied with what we see and hear. Well, that's not true. That's not true. If I have Jesus and he has me, if I've given myself over to him, surrendered my whole will to him and loving with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, he gives me abundant life. That's not boring. Trust me. It's not boring. It's not boring. It's never a dull moment. So when you're fellowshipping with the supernatural God, you are not bored. (laughs) And when you are partners with him and what he's doing and you participate with him in his kingdom and you see his work and see what he can do, that is more satisfying than you can possibly imagine. But speaking of that life that's lived, governed by the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, all of our life is far more boring than words could ever say. Our eyes are, and our ears are never satisfied with what we see and hear. How sad. How sad is that? And yet it is the description of the current world we live in. The contemporary English version reads this way. Our life is far more boring than words could ever say. Our eyes and our ears are never satisfied with what we see and hear. And then the easy-to-read Bible says, Words cannot fully explain, but people continue speaking. Words come again and again to our ears, but our ears don't become full. And our eyes don't become full of what we see. New, New Century Version says, Everything is boring, so boring that you don't even want to talk about it. Words come again and again to our ears, but we never hear enough. We can never, ever really see all we want to see. The New English Translation Bible says, All this monotony is tiresome. No one can bear to describe it. The eye is never satisfied with seeing. The ear is never content with hearing. And then finally, the World English Bible says, All things are full of weariness beyond uttering. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. The word satisfy there in the Hebrew means to be satisfied, to to be sated, to be filled, to be surfeited. Uh, One more detailed definition is to be sated, to be satisfied with, to be fulfilled, to be filled, to have one's fill of, to have desire satisfied, to have in excess. In other words, to have more than you want. It can also mean to be sated or satisfied. To be glutton, meaning I've eaten more than I actually want. I could, It doesn't matter how much I take in. It's never enough. It's never enough. This world, what it has to offer is temporary. It's temporal. It it cannot fill an eternal space in me. It cannot. It cannot. Concerning the use of our eyes, a very important point to keep foremost in in the mind involves overindulgence, visually taking in diverse content just for something to do. Just for something to do. Just giving over to what my eyes are seeing because I'm bored. I I am bored out of my mind. I'm weary with this boredness. So I give my eyes over 
to just doing something, just overindulging in what I see and my flesh wants, just to do something. Even if I'm not viewing objectionable things, it is wrong to vainly stimulate my boring life by just viewing or hearing whatever I happen to find in a feeble attempt to offset my diminished relationship with God. We call this today surfing. We call it surfing. This is just as wrong as if I was watching the wrong thing. I'm bored. I'm not satisfied. I I don't. I haven't given myself to God fully so that he can satisfy me. So I am this believer who is not satisfied. And so I will spend hours and hours and hours aimlessly looking at stuff, just trying to find something that brings a moment of happiness, false happiness. It's wrong. Sometimes we think our lives are such a problem, even as Christians. We have so much negative stuff going on. But in closing out this lesson, I want you to consider what Paul had to say and see the role uh, that eyes spiritual eyes can play. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning with verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, he says, he tells of a condition that, you know, David said one time, David said, when I consider the wicked and how little problems they had in their lives, and I looked at my life, he said, my foot had almost slipped. I almost had backslid when I looked at how good the wicked had it and how rough my life was. I almost backslid, but I went into the sanctuary. And when I went into the sanctuary and I saw their end versus my end, I went, ooh, 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 I don't want that. I don't want that. I want you, God. And so, yes, our lives as believers can be like this. No matter how devoted we are to God, I'm reading. We are troubled on every side, yet not in distress. We are not yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. He just told us why we go through some things. We're believers. Why shouldn't we have the best of this world? Well, if I've got Jesus, why do I need the best of this world? If he's giving it, I'm receiving it, but I'm not seeking for it. Why should I seek for it? I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he promised that I'm seeking for him. All these things will be added unto me. He didn't mean every single thing there is, but he's going to add things to me that can be a benefit to my life without me replacing him with them. So why would he let somebody that he loves and is pleased with go through this kind of stuff? Because he went through it for the sake of the lost, and we're going through it for the sake of the lost. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So he loves us enough to let our circumstances help keep us dead to that old life, dead to the, the influence of the lust of the eyes, dead to the influence of the lust of the flesh, dead to the influence of the pride of life. He helps keep us dead to that. Why? So the abundant life of Christ can live in us and through us. 
Again, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal bodies. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We're conduits. We're conduits of his life. It's abundant life. The external uh, 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 elements of our life may be very difficult at times. They may be very unpleasant at times. They may be worse than unpleasant. They may be very painful at times. But in here, because of my relationship with him, I've got fullness of life. I've got joy unspeakable, full of glory. He told me to, to rejoice when I was persecuted. How can I report rejoice when I'm persecuted if I don't have that joy in me before the persecution? He said that I should uh, be joyful uh, and thankful for, for the difficulties I'm going through. Well, how can that be? Because life, because of the death working on my natural man, my spiritual man can be alive and can be a conduit for his life. And so Paul made this statement. We have in the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. We also believe, therefore we speak. Well, what is it he's speaking? Knowing that he that which raised up Jesus, Lord, the Lord Jesus shall also raise us, shall, uh, shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that the abundance of grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Those who are given to the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, those that love the world more than they love God. They are bitter over this. They do their religious activity, and when neighbor stuff comes, they say, after all I've done for you, you're going to let this happen to me, God? Because what they do, they do to obligate him. They do that to put him in a place of pressure so that he is obligated to give them what they want. But God will never be obligated by any man. You can't pressure God to do what He what he's promised to only do in accordance with his word. So therefore, <laughs> the greatest privilege and honor and blessing is to be a part of the body of Christ and to be like Christ in that we become a conduit for the life of Christ that's being ministered to this world for those that will receive it through the love of God, through the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the teaching of the word of God. And so he goes on to say, and oh, this is so, this is something. For which cause we faint not. We don't give up and quit. We don't get dispirited because our life isn't perfect naturally because we face difficult circumstances outwardly. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day because of our relationship with God that we're choosing. That we're choosing. And then he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Light? You mean all I'm going through is light compared to what God is going to give us and is given us in abundant life now? It's a light affliction. And because life is so short, it's only for a moment. But our light for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And here it is. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. So what's your eyes seeing? The eyes, the natural eyes are never going to be satisfied with seeing. 
And the lust of the eyes that comes from that lingering and longing look are never going to be satisfied with seeing. It's never going to show you how to be filled in here. But I have an opportunity. You have an opportunity, a privilege to be his conduit so that all that he's doing can work through us. But I have to be crucified enough in him and die to myself enough in him and mortify my members enough in him, according to Scripture, that I'm not subject to what my eye sees and what my flesh longs for and to the desire of my pride to be in control of my life. All of that dies, and though the, and those circumstances of life allow me, like Paul said, to die daily. I die out daily to my circumstances. I don't let them influence me, no matter how good or bad from a natural perspective they may seem to be, because in my fellowship with him, my inward man is renewed day by day, because in my renewal with that and seeing him with my spiritual eyes and fellowshipping with him and being satisfied with him, I realize that this affliction is temporary. It's a light affliction that's just for a moment of eternal time, just a very small moment. And it works for us a far more exceeding eternal way to glory. It means that my relationship with him is not just here. He's preparing me for what he has for me and you in eternity. And here's the key. While we look not at things which are not seen, but at things which are but at things which are we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want to close with this final example of seeing the invisible, which is the only thing that will ever satisfy your soul. It's the example of Moses. Hebrews eleven twenty four says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, and he potentially could have been the heir of the throne of Egypt, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, choosing rather, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Why? Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He had all of this going for him, even though he was the son of a slave woman. He was the adopted daughter of the Pharaoh's daughter, adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. And in line, at least for some kind of ruling position, even if he wasn't going to become Pharaoh himself. But he chose affliction rather than the temporary pleasures of sin. Why? Because he esteemed fellowship with Christ, even if it meant suffering the reproach of Christ, as greater riches to him than the treasures in Egypt, because he had respect unto the reward of following the invisible rather than the visible. And he endured because he saw him who is invisible. I appeal to you, my friend, today 
brother or sister, whoever's watching this at this point, I appeal to you. Let God give you and I that same faith that Moses had, where we can see things from the eternal perspective. And when I look at natural things from the eternal perspective, they don't look at all like they appear to be naturally. They are not what they appear to be at all. In, in, uh, in opportunity, in pleasure, in ultimate satisfaction, and in the in final product of them. I pray that God would open our eyes spiritually and let us see the invisible, see the eternal, see Him, so that we would be able to judge these things by the Spirit and by the Word and not by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, which can never and will never be satisfied. In Jesus' name, I speak that these things would be so. God bless you. Amen.